podcast where we talk about all things related to running and really great food. Hello and welcome to the Up and Running podcast. This is episode number 20. I want to give a warm welcome to all my loyal listeners. Thank you for tuning in. And for those of you who may be here for the very first time, a very warm welcome to you. I hope that after listening to this first show, you will enjoy it and come back over and over again. So today I want to focus on some commonly used running terminology. You're probably hearing these terms used on running podcasts all the time, but you may not be exactly sure what all of them mean. So today I want to give a crash course, if you will. The very first term that I want to start with is the shakeout run. What is a shakeout run? Well, a shakeout run is an easy jog of 10 to 15 minutes the early morning of your big race. So let's say you have a 10K race and the race starts at 8 a.m. You would be doing this shakeout run around 6 o'clock in the morning. It's recommended that you do your shakeout run two to two and a half hours before your race. Why do a shakeout run? Well, a shakeout run helps get blood flow going to your muscles. It helps you wake up. It also helps you calm your nerves on race day. And it gives you a chance to go to the bathroom. A lot of times these races feature thousands of runners. And those wonderful porta potties just back up with lines. So, doing a shakeout run will do all these things in addition to giving you a chance to go to the bathroom. The next term is intensity based workout. So, what is an intensity based workout? An intensity based training workout is all about running your hardest for a set interval length. For example, you could set this up as running all out for as short as 10 seconds or running all out for five minutes and breaking those up by rest periods or recovery periods. So an example of what this might look like is running five minutes all out at your hardest followed by three minute rest periods in between. You might have three sessions of this, so three by five minutes with three minute rest periods in between. The next one is a fun word, which is fartlek. Fartlek spelled F-A-R-T-L-E-K. So fartlek is a Swedish word, which means speed play. And essentially, that's what this is all about. It's a training run that allows you to vary your speeds as you go. There's really no hard and set rules on it, which makes it fun. I did a lot of these in my high school cross-country days. And you can vary your speed. So for example, let's say you're going out for a five-mile run. And on that run, you have periods where you're running easy and you also have periods where you're intermittently running just faster. And you might extend those faster periods, um, like maybe 30 seconds. Or you might go as long as two-minute sections where you're running harder. Uh, So the idea behind this, again, is, is just varying your speeds. It does a lot for you in terms of building your endurance and your strength. So here's another term we hear a lot when we hear how people break down their training on some of the running podcasts that are 
very popular out there. It's the tempo run. So what is a tempo run? A tempo run is where you run about 30 seconds slower than your race pace or 85 to 90% of your max heart rate. The other way to describe this is, you know, running to where you're, it's hard to talk on the run, right? It's difficult to speak full uh, conversation, but you can get, you know, one sentence here, one sentence there. Um, that's how you know you're running your tempo the right way is if you're doing a full-on conversation, you're probably not pushing the pace hard enough. So you should be able to have a conversation, but speaking in short sentences. That is a tempo run. The speed workout. What is a speed workout? So when people talk about doing a speed workout, they're talking about a track workout. Yeah, getting out on the track. One uh, form of this could be doing a track workout, for example, running two by 400s. So that would be two times running one lap around the entire track. So two by 400 followed by four by 200s and four by 100s with rest periods in between. So essentially this is what we would call the downside of a ladder because we're going from running a longer distance on the track and then subsequently running shorter distance on the track um, with short rest periods in between. Uh, speed workouts are very, very good for increasing your strength and all, of, all about increasing your speed, focusing on your form, focusing on your leg turnover. And it is very, very good uh, for runners to do as they try to increase their speed and also helps you with kicking, uh, which is that last burst, that last sprint to the finish on a given race. So this next run workout probably needs no real explanation and it is the easy run. So why am I spending time on the easy run? Because the easy run is often forgotten and skipped over by runners. Uh, the easy run is supposed to be exactly what it sounds like. And that's a simple, easy pace run. One that you could have full conversations. These are really great runs to do with running partners. So that while you're out on the run, you do have conversations which will keep you on pace nice and easy. Why the easy run is so important for runners is that we all need time to rest and we need time to recover from hard workouts. Doing hard workouts all the time breaks the body down, doesn't give us enough time to recover. So if we're nearing race day, if we haven't uh, integrated some easy runs, we might not be as fresh and may not have the quick popping leg turnover that we're going to want for race day. That's the easy run. Cool down, the cool down. So a cool down is the run that you do after a high intensity workout. And it's an easy jog and it's really intended to get your body, your breathing uh, all down to a steady state, more of a relaxed state. Uh, it helps your muscles cool down um, and it's very important for recovery. So once you've done a really hard workout, you should, you know, do a cool down, a short cool down. That might mean, it might mean running a mile, honestly, but very, very slow just to work the lactic acid out of your muscles and get your breathing and your body back down to a relaxed state, which does a whole lot for you as you prepare for those upcoming hard workouts. All right, so now we're going to talk about the progression run. What is a progression run? Well, a progression run is a workout where you have structured pace increases from beginning to end. 
So on a progression run, you might want to run a total of four miles, let's say. On your first mile, you might target to run an eight-minute mile pace. On your second mile, you'd run faster than the first mile, say seven minutes and 30 seconds. On your third mile, you'll target, let's say, running a seven-minute mile pace. And on your final mile, you might target a 6.30 pace. So in this example, you're running faster miles each time over the course of the training run. That's a progression run. So I'm going to shift now away from workout type runs to some other common running terms, not specific to the training run. So let's talk now about negative splits. Negative splits, what are they? Negative splits are mile times that are faster than your previous mile in a workout or a race. So like a progression run, you negative split when you run each subsequent mile faster than the last one. This is a common technique used by marathoners after the half mile mark and especially after mile 18. The next term I want to talk about is a BQ. B like boy, Q like quiet, BQ. What is a BQ? A BQ refers to a Boston qualifying time, which is a marathon time fast enough to qualify you for entry into the Boston Marathon. Qualifying times are based on age and gender. For example, a BQ for me would be 3 hours and 20 minutes, which translates to a 7 minute 38 second mile pace. That is a BQ. What is an OTQ? Ever heard that term, OTQ? So a lot of times uh, you're listening to running podcasts and you hear people talking about this. So it stands for Olympic Trials Qualifier. If you run fast enough in the marathon, you might qualify for the Olympic Trials. To qualify for the Olympic Trials, athletes must meet at least the B standard, which is a time of 219 for men and 245 for women. Personal Best. What is a personal best? A personal best, or a PB for short, is a personal record for an individual runner. That's basically your fastest time during any particular race. So let's talk now a little bit more on the science side of things. VO2 max. VO2 max is something we hear a lot more now on podcasts. We see Instagram posts about it. There are several companies that produce devices that help athletes monitor their VO2 max, measure it consistently. So VO2 max is, is in short, the number that expresses just how much oxygen you consume when exercising your hardest. You calculate your VO2 max by dividing beats by minute or number of beats in 20 seconds multiplied by three. That's how you would actually figure it out. So essentially what it does is it lets you know what your level of uh, fitness is. Um, And measuring this and watching your VO2 max increase over time uh, tells you that you're getting more fit. Lactate threshold. What is a lactate threshold? The lactate threshold refers to the maximal effort or intensity that an athlete can maintain for an extended period of time with little or no increase in lactate in the blood. So essentially, it's the fastest pace you can run without generating more lactic acid than your body can utilize and reconvert back into energy. Okay, so here's a term that I'm hearing a lot more, not only on podcasts, but I'm reading about on different Instagram posts, and that's zero drop. So what is zero drop? Zero drop is a shoe design 
that eliminates raised heels in running shoes. There's a company out there called Ultra, and they have introduced several models of these running shoes that allow the heel to be level with the forefront. And so the benefits, say the founders of the company, are that you run more naturally and more efficiently because our feet don't have raised heels. So that is what Zero Drop is. Um, conventional running shoes, if you want to call them that, feature a raised heel. So think about when you slide your foot into your running shoe and the way that your forefront of your foot sits in the shoe tends to sit a tiny bit lower than your heel and that's because the heel itself is raised um, typically with the insert and the foam and everything else that's in the shoe. Um, so that is what zero drop refers to. Taper. What does taper mean? Taper refers to the period in your training cycle where you're reducing the volume in your mileage as you approach your marathon race day. The objective in tapering is to minimize accumulated fatigue from your training. Tapering properly can mean a 3% improvement in performance is what's been shown. So that is what is meant when people talk about tapering. You hear this a lot uh, about marathoners when they talk about their training cycle and, and that now they're in their tapering phase. That's what they mean. So let's talk about chip time. Chip time refers to run time as tracked by the electronics race chip on race day. So... Many of you uh, obviously have run races uh, that are electronically timed, uh, listening to this podcast right now. So the chip chip time refers to the little embedded uh, RFID chip that's either in your race bib. Sometimes the race will give you a bracelet to wear, or sometimes they'll give you like a little um, clip-on thing that'll go to you on your running shoes. And when you actually start the race and that chip crosses the start mat... So there's that big strip that is at the start line that sends a signal to that map. And then that uh, signal gets relayed back with an identification number, which is your bib number. So that is what refers to chip time. Uh, Gun time, you've probably seen this in your race results, gun time. Gun time refers to the run time as tracked by when the start gun goes off and the race clock starts. Because a lot of times these races have a lot of runners, the gun time may be longer than the chip time. And that's simply because you might not be starting yourself right on the start line. You might be starting maybe 30 seconds or a minute behind the actual start line. And that will be reflected in your overall run time, which is gun time. Currently, the United States track and field, USATF, only accepts gun time for Olympic trial qualifying. So gun time is still used quite a bit. So the final term I'm going to touch on is peaking, spelled P-E-A-K-I-N-G, peaking. Peaking in running refers to achieving maximum running performance capacity for an important race, so your race that you're targeting, through incremental fitness training. You've worked to increase your VO2 max and your overall fitness level to run the best race that you can. So I can remember back to my high school days of cross country. And um, as we were finishing up our our training, as we led into like the finals, um, we referred to this term a lot because our, our training at that point was changing. We were starting to reduce our volume. We were actually um, going more towards 
speed sessions, things like that. And uh, as we neared those particular, like the big race, the finals, um, a lot of us were achieving our fastest times of the season. And that was uh, indicative that we were peaking. We were achieving our maximum running performance capacity for that season. That's crazy good. So I want to share with you a really wonderful place I had the opportunity to dine at this past week. It is called Rails Steakhouse, R-A-I-L-S, and it is located in Parsippany, New Jersey. And Rails Steakhouse is a modern American steakhouse offering the finest and carefully selected USDA prime and CAB corn-fed beef dry-aged a minimum of 28 days on premise and hand-cut daily by the Rails Butchers. Outside of the dry aging process, the steaks require little else than a sprinkle of kosher salt and freshly ground black pepper before going under the 1400 degree char broiler. So that's a little, uh, little bit about what they do there with their steaks. Uh, the food is outstanding. Uh, as I mentioned, I dined there this week. Um, so what I want to focus on is uh, is their meat, their steak. I ordered the petite filet mignon because I am a filet mignon fan. I always have mine done medium when I have filet mignon. And Rail's filet mignon was outstanding. It was just the perfect amount of pink in the middle. Not too pink, not bloody, but the way medium should be done with the steak. And as they mentioned, just a sprinkle of kosher salt, not much else on it, but it didn't need it because the meat was super tender, very, very flavorful, um, just an outstanding steak. Um, you might not be in Parsippany, New Jersey every day. I'm not either. But if you happen to be through there, definitely consider Rail Steakhouse. In addition to the Petit Filet Mignon, they offer a prime New York strip steak. They offer a 12-ounce filet mignon. They offer a 20-ounce cowboy steak. They also offer a porterhouse, which is large enough to feed up to four people. They have a Kansas City steak, which is a 20-ounce steak, a marinated 12-ounce skirt steak, and a cola-infused ribeye, which is 20 ounces. So um, I like dessert. I also got to try and have some dessert there so i wanted to tell you about their dessert so for dessert i ordered their half-baked brownie and their half-baked brownie features a fudge brownie cookie dough and salted caramel ganache and it was crazy good i mean this thing was so rich it's like a big square block comes to you and you, you can cut through it with your knife. It's, it's soft. Um, and then that first bite has that perfect combination of just sugary and salty at the same time. And of course, you pick up on that cookie dough. It's just absolutely crazy good. Um, another really cool thing they have there is they have a speakeasy. And it's like going back into time into Prohibition area. So you walk down and you take the elevator down to their there uh, it has three floors there at rails so you go to their first level and then you walk into a room and uh, and i'll put some pictures on my instagram page to show like the cheese uh, aging room 
where they have uh, a lot of different cheeses in there um, undergoing the aging process. And then they have, like I said, a speakeasy. So it's kind of like a library. And uh, unless you know, which I did not, um, you don't know which book uh, or that even it is going to be a book that opens what is really a trap door. So, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't know there's a door there and then all of a sudden uh, you pull back on this book out of the bookcase and here comes the door sliding open. Um, they also have a really cool, uh, uh, well, like a wine cave. They call it a wine cave. And in that particular cave, uh, it also has another hidden door. And again, you would have no idea that there's a door here, but lo and behold, um, what looks like a wall containing lots of different bottles of wine with uh, the touch uh, uh, of a wall in a particular place that just kind of pushes back. <laughs> this is pretty cool. So uh, stop by at Rail Steakhouse in Parsippany, New Jersey. You will not be disappointed, I guarantee it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Up and Running Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this quick breakdown of some commonly used running terms. And I hope that you'll join me on my next show, which will be coming out in a couple of weeks. I want to wish everyone a very, very happy holiday, and as always, enjoy your next run. Bye-bye.